0: Take your Bibles and turn with me this morning to John chapter 1. We began our series through the Gospel of John last week with an introduction in John 20, but get right into the first five verses of John chapter 1 this morning. One of our favorite ministries that we partner with here at Prince is a ministry called the Great Exchange. The Great Exchange is a ministry that exists to go to college campuses and share the gospel with college students. And where we normally do that is on UGA's campus. Uh, If you know where the Tate Center is, right where the stadium is here and the Tate Center, the bookstore here, right there is this big open quad. And uh, you're allowed in that space uh, to talk to people about anything you want to. And so we talk to people about Jesus. And so we uh, have a little survey, and we do it different ways, but as students are kind of walking through there, some of them in a hurry headed to class, others have time, we just ask them if they want to talk about Jesus. And every once in a while, someone will. And we have sin comes to come to Christ, and uh, it's a wonderful ministry. But just imagine if, if you were there, and you were standing in that spot, looking for people to share the gospel with, and uh, I would imagine you'd be feeling nervous and a little overwhelmed and terrified that someone might actually say, yes, I'd like to hear about Jesus. And you're standing there and all of a sudden you see someone coming and you feel led to go talk to them and you, and you approach them and you say, Hey, listen, I, I know you're busy. And they say, no, I'm not. So, okay. So I, I, I'd like to talk to you about Jesus. Great. Okay, and they said, you know, you're not going to believe this, but I was just thinking that, that, that I would love someone to tell me about Jesus. Never had this happen, but we're pretending here, sorry. I just this morning thought, wouldn't it be awesome if someone stopped me and, and told me all about Jesus? So this is awesome. Okay, let's go. And, and let me just tell you this. I don't know anything. I know nothing about Jesus. I didn't grow up in a Christian home. I've heard his name. I literally know nothing about Jesus. So why don't you just, why don't you just kind of start from the beginning and tell me everything? After feeling completely overwhelmed uh, and probably dripping sweat, uh, my question would be where would you start? Where do you start? Uh, Particularly in this increasingly secular age in which we live, more and more people know nothing about Jesus. And so if they ask you about Jesus, you get an opportunity to share Jesus. Where do you start? It feels overwhelming, doesn't it? There's a lot to be said. I have to believe this is a bit of how the gospel writers felt Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John as they begin to write under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the life of Jesus Christ, where do you start? Matthew, writing to a Jewish audience, started with a genealogy. That's right. He talked about all of the generations from Abraham leading up to Jesus Christ, went through 42 generations, probably not the best place to start with your UGA student. All right, you might lose them right there, but essential for Matthew. Matthew needed to prove to this Jewish audience that Jesus was the one who was promised. And so he did. And so he starts with the genealogy and Abraham and then goes to the birth of Jesus. Mark just goes for it. I love it. Mark skips all the birth and all of that stuff. He begins in chapter one by talking to the baptism of Jesus, the temptation of Jesus, Jesus casting out demonic spirits, Jesus calling disciples, Jesus healing people, all in chapter one. Mark just says, let's start with the ministry. Mark wants to prove to us that Jesus is God, and he does it by just showing you, here's what Jesus did. Luke does things a little bit differently. Luke gives us a much greater account of the birth of Jesus. The reason we always read Luke at Christmas is because it's in Luke that we get the angel coming to Mary, and it's in Luke, and only in Luke, where we get the angels coming uh, to the shepherds, and it's where we get Mary and Joseph going to Bethlehem, and it's where we get the manger, and... There's all of these things that we hear about the birth of Jesus, the supernatural birth of Jesus that we only get in Luke. And so all three of those writings starting in just very different places. And then there's John. We talked last week about how John is different than any of the other gospels. The first three are called synoptic gospels. They're very similar. John shares almost nothing with those three. John, probably written last, decides I'm going to write something distinct and unique And so he completely skips the genealogies. He skips the Old Testament prophecies. He skips anything at all about the birth of Jesus Christ or the growing up of Jesus Christ or anything about the parents or the angels or the shepherds or the glory to God in the highest, like none of that is in John. John actually starts before all of that. John starts with three of maybe the most familiar words to us in the Bible, in the beginning. Now, right there, you might feel a little bit nervous that this is going to take a really long time. I mean, imagine if you had that conversation with that student. You said, well, all right, let's go. In the beginning, they're, that's going to be overwhelming. They're going to feel as if they better settle in. This is going to be really long. But it doesn't take John long because by verse 18, Jesus is 30 years old. 19, by verse 19. And so in 18 verses, what is referred to as the, the prologue to the gospel of John, John takes us to end the beginning before time and space, before anything else existed, before anything was created, all the way to Jesus beginning his, his ministry in 18 verses. You say, why does John do that? And no one else does. Because as we saw last week, John's goal is not simply to give us the facts about Jesus. John's goal, according to John 20, 30, and 31, Is he is writing that we might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, and by believing we might have life in his name. What that means is that John is writing to convince you of something. He's trying to convince you that Jesus is God and Jesus is the savior God sent. And Jesus is the savior God that you need. But he's also trying to convince you of this. Jesus has come to give you life and life abundantly. That he is not simply calling you to make a decision or to pray a prayer. He wants Jesus to be a part of your life. He wants Jesus to be a daily reality. What John is trying to lead us into is what we said last week is living and loving union with Jesus. A real life living relationship with Jesus Christ that is real every day. And it's this loving relationship with Jesus where we fall in love with him. Because the more we know him, the more we're going to love him. John is very concerned that you experience abundant life in Jesus Christ. And what John knows is this, if you're ever going to experience abundant life in Jesus Christ, you better understand that Jesus has the ability to give you life. What he wants us to see is that we must look back to what Jesus did if we're ever going to look forward to what Jesus is about to do. He wants us to look at John John 1 in light of Genesis 1 because he wants us to see that Jesus is the creator because he wants us to see that Jesus is creating something new. There is a new creation. Because without John 1 pointing us back to Genesis 1, you will never be able to make sense of that verse in 2 Corinthians 5.17. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Because there's the first creation and with Jesus, there's a new creation that is coming What John wants us to understand is that what God is doing now in John chapter 1 is the biggest thing God's done since Genesis 1. That God is speaking and He's creating something. These first five verses of John, or the first 18, but particularly the first five, are absolutely mind blowing, but at the same time, incredibly life giving. This is the uniqueness about this text. All of church history owes a massive debt of gratitude to the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and the writing of John to clarify things in these first five verses that have gotten so many people to go astray. It is in John 1 1 through 5 where we confront Jehovah's Witness and Mormons and Unitarians and Pentecostal Oneness and all of these different groups that stray away from right doctrine. It is John 1, 1 through 5 that brings clarity to that. And these verses are mind-blowing. We will come to a time in a moment in which you will say to yourself, I can't comprehend this and that's exactly how you should feel. This is some really deep and heavy stuff. But listen, in the midst of all of the really deep and dense doctrine that we desperately need, John's goal is not to confuse you. John's goal is to liberate you. John's goal is not for you to simply look at the book and be amazed at the doctrine. His desire is for you to look at your life and then go to Jesus Christ who is the only one that can give you life. And so in order to get there, I I need you to be patient this morning because we are going to look at the dense stuff. We have to do this. This is why we walk through books of the Bible. So we're going to look at the dense stuff, but then in the the most incredibly powerful way, you're going to see in which the way that those theological truths are incredibly life giving every single day. And I believe if you believe them will lead you into abundant life with Jesus. Let's read them first in John chapter one, verses one through five. I'm going to read these for us. The way I want to do this this morning is I want to give you four words that help summarize John 1, 1 through 5. I want to make sure you get these words down. These four words not only summarize the text, but these four words will show us why it's possible for us to experience in a very real way living and loving union with Jesus Christ. The first word is revelation. Revelation. It's the first thing that John wants us to see. In the beginning was the word John tells us right here that he's starting prior to creation. And you'll be amazed as we walk through this, the amount of links to John 1 and Genesis 1. John is very intentionally doing what we think he's doing with those words at the very beginning. He immediately wants us to go back to Genesis 1. He wants us to think about what was happening in Genesis 1 because it's important for us to see that what God was doing then, he is now doing in a new way today. In the beginning was the word prior to creation, before time began... When, as Genesis 1 says, this is very important, there was nothing but darkness and void. Those words are going to become very important for your personal life. There was nothing but darkness and void. And in the darkness and the void, in the very beginning, it says, was the word. Because in that moment, when there was nothing but darkness and void, everything changed. And the reason it changed is because God spoke. A word changed everything. And that is the reason if you go back to Genesis 1 and read the account, it starts with in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and it gives us this picture of darkness and void. And then every other paragraph after that starts with the same words, and God said. And every time God says something, something happens. Every time God speaks, something new is created. Every time God speaks, something that has never been seen before comes into existence. Why? Because the power of the word of God. And everything we see and everything we have and everything we've experienced in the world around us is all because God spoke. That's overwhelming. That's why Psalm 33, 6 says that by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. The world was spoken into existence by the word of God. And so it is with words that God creates. It is with words that God speaks into existence. It is with words that God takes the nothingness and the void of the world and turns it into something that is filled with life. But it is also by those words that God is making himself known. The heavens are declaring the glory of God. So why has God created all of these things? So that in seeing them, we might see him. That we might, some of his character and some of his nature might be known. This is Romans chapter one. This is Psalm 19. That by beholding creation, we might see the glory of God. That God is speaking to us by what he has created. So he speaks and things are created. And by that speech and what is created, we begin to know more about God. We would never know God if it wasn't for words. If it wasn't for his words speaking things into creation and the word that he has given us to guide us into knowing him, we can't know anyone without words. And so it is the word not only represents the power of God's ability to create with words, but God's desire, listen, for you to know him. God wants you to know him. God longs for you to know him and to be clear about him and to be ever increasing in your knowledge of him. So there's two reasons he starts with this idea of in the beginning is the word because first of all, he wants us to know by in the beginning that Jesus, who is the word of God, has no origin. Jesus has no beginning. There is never a time in which Jesus was not. He always has been. His existence is beyond time and space. Jesus Christ has eternally existed. So in the beginning, before anything else was, the word was. The word has to be first because it was the word that was speaking things into existence. He wants us to see Jesus in the beginning before anything else was created. But he also wants us to see Jesus Christ as the word because Jesus Christ is the ultimate revelation of God. Do the heavens declare the glory of God? Absolutely do we bear as human beings the image of God and somehow through us we can see something about God? Absolutely. But none of those things compare to the ultimate way in which God has chosen to make himself known and that is through the person of Jesus Christ. Just look at John one eighteen. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. So by saying that Jesus is the word, it not only points us back to creation, that by the word of God, God's power is displayed, but it points us to God's desire to be made known, the revelation of God. Jesus is the word because there is no way we can ever know God without seeing Jesus. And it says, no one has ever seen God at any time, but Jesus has made him known. So the ultimate way in which Jesus has revealed himself to uh, to us, the ultimate proof that God wants us to know him and he loves us is because he sent Jesus Christ so that through Jesus Christ, we might come to know and to see God. What he's saying here is the same thing that we see in Hebrews chapter one, that God has spoken in many times and in many ways, but now he has spoken to us through his son, Jesus Christ. So think about this. In creation, in Genesis one, God spoke and everything changed. What John wants us to see is this, God has spoken again in the person of Jesus Christ and everything is about to change. He spoke and something was created. He is speaking again and there's about to be a new creation that only Jesus could give. He is the ultimate word of God and so John does not start with Jesus as the son or Jesus as the lamb, he starts with Jesus as the word. Revelation. The second word is this. It is union. Get that down. It is union. Union describes the next phrase. In the beginning was the word, the revelation of God. And the word was with God and the word was God. Two very important words there. With and was. Saying two different things. The word was with. I circled that word, God. And was God. Now with communicates presence. So, we've already established that in the beginning, before anything existed, before time and space, eternally existing, never created, was Jesus Christ the Word. But now it says that the Word was with God, meaning that before time and space, Jesus was with someone else. Who was he with? He was with God. To which you say, Well, I thought he was God. He is God. Well, how can he be God and be with God? Well, I told you it's going to be tough, right? This is where theologians borrow this word uh, that is often used when you come to a text like this. Ineffable, it means something that is beyond our ability to rightly communicate with words. And you feel this way when you start to see this, that Jesus was with God and Jesus is God. But that shouldn't be totally new to us. Because going back to Genesis 1, which John wants us to do, in verse 26, God says, let us make man in our image. Let us make man in our image. So, it was God that was creating all things, but it Seems to say that there was something more than God was there. What was there? Well, it wasn't more than God was there, but at present at creation was God the Father, and God the Son, and God the Spirit. All three present at creation, listen carefully, all of them fully God, all of them fully distinct, God in three persons. The Trinity is best described as this. The Trinity is one God, eternally existing as three distinct persons. One God eternally existing in three distinct persons. There's God, the father, God, the son, and God, the spirit, all of them completely distinct and all of them one in essence. And Jesus makes this clear over and over. There may be no book of the Bible that tells us more about this in the gospel of John. This is huge to John and we'll see why in a minute. So much so that in John 13, Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. What he means is I'm not the father and the father is not the son so I'm here and the father is not here, but if you've seen me, you've seen the father. Why? Because we have one essence, the same essence, but distinct persons. And so it is when Jesus talks to us about God, the father and God, the spirit and God, the son, it is God, the son who has come as a distinct person to bring us to God, the father and to allow us to experience union with him through God, the spirit, all of them essential to us in our understanding of what it means to know God. And John 17 helps us to know that there is this perfect union between God, the Father, the Spirit, and the Son, eternally existing. There is a union, a oneness with the Father, Son, and the Spirit. So he wants us to know this union. But then he goes on to say, and the Word was God. The Word was with God, one essence, three distinct persons. But the Word was God. It could not be clearer than it is in the Gospel of John that Jesus is God. There's no way to work around this. And there are so many other religions that will try to tell you that Jesus is a God or he is one of the gods or something else. Jesus is in fact God. And you cannot argue that fact. Hebrews chapter one, Philippians two, Colossians chapter one, all of them affirming over and over that Jesus is fully God. Yet, as we just saw, he is not God in totality. He is the second person of the Trinity. Jesus is God and his divinity is undeniable throughout scripture. And it's so important that John says it again. Look at verse two. People have a hard time wondering why verse two is there because he already said it because he just wants to make sure we get it. He was in the beginning with God. (laughs) He says it again. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. We already got that. He was in the beginning with God. He's just getting us to pause for a moment, to stop, to think about the union between God the Father, God the Spirit, and God the Son. That Jesus is, in fact, God, distinct from God the Father and God the Spirit, but one with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. that's some heavy theological truth, but it has massive personal implications for you. We'll see in just a minute. Jesus is God in the flesh, one with the Father and the Spirit. The third word is this creation. Revelation, union, and creation. Look at verse 3. Verse 3 says, all things were made through him. How many things were made through him? All. Seriously? isn't even the 815 service. How many things were made through him? All things. All things were made through him. And without him, was not anything made that was made. That's a massive statement. There's nothing that has ever been made that wasn't made through him, through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ wasn't just there. Jesus Christ was the word that was speaking that brought all things into existence. Colossians 1 makes this very clear. There's nothing that existed without the word of Jesus Christ. Jesus is what we would call the agent of creation. Jesus is the one who is speaking and the world was existing and there was nothing that has ever been made that was was not made by Jesus Christ. There's a very important word you might have noticed in verse three. It's used three times. All things were made through him. Without him was not anything made that was made. This is another way in which John links us to Genesis 1. He does this intentionally. This word is used 11 different times in John chapter 1. 11 times. And it's used and translated different ways. But that same Greek word is used 11 times. That word is also used 23 times in Genesis 1. So he wants us to read John one and immediately be going back all the time, right at the in the beginning, throughout as we read this, to say, man, this sure is pointing us back to Genesis one because it is, and the word made there means to bring something into existence, to bring something into existence, and so everything that has ever existed has been brought into existence by the word of Jesus Christ. And we use this word like that all the time. We. We might say, honey, I made dinner tonight. Well, what does that mean? There was no dinner and now there is. I brought something into existence. Honey, I made a little extra money this week. What does that mean? There was no extra money and now there's some extra money. Why? Because I brought this into it. I, I have made some extra money. It means there was nothing, but now there was something. But this, this is a little different than that. It's different because Jesus made everything out of nothing and Jesus made it by speaking it into existence. So you may have made dinner, but you didn't make it out of nothing. You had something. And you certainly did not speak it into existence, although that would be amazing. I was thinking this week that, you know, you talk about if you could have any superpower, what would it be? I've never thought about this one. What if you had the power to speak things into existence? Let there be dinner that all five kids like and eat. What an amazing thing. Just to speak it, and it is. I would use that all the time for all kinds of stuff. We can't do that. We can't make something out of nothing. It's impossible. And we certainly can't speak something into existence. But what John wants us to understand here is that Jesus did both. With a word of his mouth, something came from nothing. He spoke and everything came into existence. And what he says is without him, there was not anything made that was made. Colossians 1.16 says, all things were made through him and all things were made for him. Jesus is the agent of creation. And you say, why is that so important? It's important because we look back to what Jesus spoke and what happened. And then we realize God is speaking again through Jesus Christ. And what he's doing is he's saying, I've got a new word for you. And that word is as powerful as the word I gave in Genesis 1. There's about to be a new creation. I'm about to speak life out of Nothing and all of a sudden we start to get this little feeling like wait this is not just theologically dense this is really good there's something really special here the God that spoke in the creation is the God who is speaking in John chapter 1 and he said I'm about to speak something new into existence that wasn't there and it's something you could never do without me because he's the only one that can do it and That leads us to our final word illumination revelation union creation and illumination that's verses 4 and 5 illumination. In him was life and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Now he starts in verse 4 by saying in him was life. We seem to have already established this because Jesus spoke everything into existence and there's nothing that's ever been made that wasn't made through Jesus. But John could have used another word for life here. He could have used the Greek word bio, which is really a reference to biological life. And it would have made sense because we're talking about creation, right? We're saying that that all biological life comes from Jesus. But that's not what John is saying. John uses a different word of life, zoeo, a word that means fullness of life. It's beyond biological life. It's the life that we experience externally. It's the life we experience internally. It, It really is eternal and full life. So what he's saying is this. When Jesus spoke things into creation, he didn't just make biological life. He made life inside of us. And so Adam and Eve were not just physical beings that were existing. They were beings that had a right relationship with God. They were one with God. They were united with God. Why? Because there was life in them. It is one thing to have physical life. It is another thing to have spiritual life. And if you have physical life and not spiritual life, what the Bible would say is that you're walking dead. You're dead in your trespasses and sins. Can't you walk? Sure, because you have biological life, but you don't have spiritual life. If you don't understand the difference between spiritual life and biological life, nothing in the gospel of John will make sense because John revolves everything around that. That's so what he's trying to say Here's In him was life. There was this fullness of life. So, so here's what he, he's getting to. That he says, when, when, when Jesus spoke things into existence, he took the darkness and the void and all of a sudden with a word, fullness of life biological life and spiritual life was coming and then he says this and that life that he was speaking into existence was the light of men and that makes sense because the very first thing God said was let there be light let there be light that's the first word he spoke you ever thought about the fact that God did not need to speak darkness into existence the darkness was there he had to speak light into existence the darkness was hovering over the earth. Everything was darkness and void. He didn't have to create that. What he had to do is he had to let the light shine in darkness. He spoke the light to dispel the darkness. And with a word, all of a sudden the lights came on. All the darkness was gone because light come on. And that helps us to understand verse 5. The light shines in the darkness. It did in Genesis 1 and it's doing it right now. He's starting to transition us and we'll see this more next week from in the beginning to what's happening now. The light shines in the darkness. Jesus Christ, the word, the life, the light is shining in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. A little bit of a difficult word overcome, but I think the best way for us to translate that is overpower. That darkness cannot overpower light. Light always overpowers darkness. And he's talking about Jesus Christ here. And he's reminding us that as we read the story of Jesus Christ, you will notice that Satan tried to dispel the light by slaughtering all the baby boys when Jesus was born, but the darkness couldn't overshadow the light. He tried to overshadow the light in the wilderness. He tried to overshadow the light in the garden. He tried to overshadow the light at the cross. But there's never been a moment in which the darkness was able to overcome the light because the light always overpowers the darkness. So he just wants us to know that the light that is coming, the life that is coming is so big and so significant that no amount of darkness can ever dispel it. It can never be overshadowed. It can never be overcome. He's trying to build up this massive thought of Jesus Christ, who is the creator of all things, eternally existing. The power to speak and there be life. The power to speak and there be light. And there is no amount of darkness that can ever take over the light that Jesus speaks into existence. This is some weighty stuff. It is really important for us to understand these things theologically. If you don't get the Trinity right, you can mess up all kinds of things. And if you get creation right, you can mess up all kinds of things. All of our confidence and marriage and gender and all of these things in Genesis 1. And so all of that matters. But John takes us back there. Because of the purpose in which he's trying to accomplish in us. He said, well, I'm so thankful for the theological truth, but What does it mean practically? And one of my fears with John 1 is sometimes people get so weighed down by all the theology, which we have to get, that they miss that John wants us to be real to us. Let me tell you what it means. What it means is that in the beginning, there was nothing but darkness and void. Genesis 1, darkness and void was all there was. There was no life. There was no light. And then with a word, with just a word, the sun began to shine. The wind began to blow, the flowers begin to bloom, the birds begin to sing, and Adam and Eve begin to love. Can you imagine the complexity of all of those things? The complexity of love, the complexity of a flower blooming, the complexity of a bird singing, the complexity of the sun rising and setting and light shining, the complexity of all of that. With just a word, all of it existed. With a world, with a word, the world went from nothing, darkness and void, to fullness of life. And all because God spoke. What happened in that moment is that God spoke and life and light overshadowed the darkness and the void. Out of nothing became something. And not just something, fullness of life. And now God is speaking again. He's speaking ultimately through his son, Jesus Christ, and his word is Jesus Christ. And what he is doing is the one who spoke life into existence, who brought light into the darkness, is the same one who has come to make a new creation. He is coming to the hearts of mankind, listen, which are marked by darkness and void. You read through the New Testament, all through the Bible, and you mark every time it talks about the hearts of mankind being dark and void because if you have biological life but no spiritual life, inside of you there is nothing but darkness and void, There is nothing in your life without Jesus but darkness and void. And who else but Jesus can come and bring life and bring light? No one. So if you don't see Jesus as the eternally existing God, and if you do not see him as the creator of light and life, and if you don't see him as the one who has the ability to speak and to create something, you will never see why it is that you need Jesus. Because there is no light and there is no life outside of Jesus Christ. He takes the nothingness in your life and with a word he speaks it into something that is abundant. He has come to make us into new creations. He has come to bring us abundant life. And without Jesus there is nothing left in you but darkness and void. But it's more than that. (laughs) He has come to bring us to the Father and fill us with the Spirit. And so there's this union that the Trinity has and it's so special and it's, it's marked by such oneness and completeness. But then when John wants to tell us about the union we can have with Jesus Christ, it's so rich and so full and so overwhelming that the only way he can describe it is telling us about the Trinity. So he goes to John 17 and he says, God, in the same way that we have eternally existed with his oneness, may they know this same oneness. And so by understanding the relationship of the Father, Son, and the Spirit, it helps us to understand the kind of oneness and intimacy that God wants to have with us. This is why John 14, 23 says this. Jesus says, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him. Listen. And we will come to him and make our home with him. God coming to reside inside of us. Through the sacrifice of the son brought into relationship with the father. Filled with the very spirit of God. God coming to make his home in us. You know what that is? Living in loving union with God. That can be experienced in ever increasing measure. The closer we get to Jesus the more we know it. The more we experience it. The reason that John 1 constantly brings us back to Genesis 1 is because of this. What Jesus did in creation he has now come to do in you. Listen, what Jesus did in creation, he's now come to do in you. He wants to give life and light where there was nothing but darkness and void. He wants to give life and light where there is nothing but darkness and void. So let me ask you this. Who else could do it but Jesus? That's what he wants you to see. He wants you to see that you desperately need life You need the life of God. It's not enough to just live like an animal with your biological flesh. You need life inside of you and you need life. You can't even see the glory of Christ unless he helps you to see it. Second Corinthians chapter four, you need life and you need life. You can't speak that into existence. You can't work that into existence. Only God can do that. Do you think the constant affirmation of others is finally going to be what fills you up with life? Do you think the love of a spouse is gonna be that one thing that finally fills you with life? You think an abundance of friendship or abundance of wealth or abundance of possessions or some title or some position, do you think that can speak life into your existence? No. The only thing that can do that is Jesus Christ. So what John says is this, I just want you to know the life that God has for you. I want you to know full abundant life but I have to start in the beginning because if I don't, you will go to a thousand other things and miss the only person that can give it to you, and his name is Jesus Christ. And without him, there is nothing but darkness and void. But with him, there is a new creation inside of us that begins to experience abundant life. Inspire heads and close our eyes this morning.